Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are finally talking about actual Detroit Pistons games. Uh, ben and I talk about your 2-0 Pistons, Blake Griffin's all-star caliber play in the first two games, our growing trepidation about Andre Drummond shooting threes, Luke Kennard's missing minutes, and Dwayne Casey's love of three-guard lineups. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you guys are talking about. We want to talk about whatever you guys are talking about. In order to do that, though, you should be following DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Back in action. Uh, Happy NBA week, everybody. Uh, Good start for the Pistons. Um, Exciting college football week. I'm doing good and happy to be back. Uh, I'm happy that basketball is back. I'm less (laughs) happy that college football is back for uh, understandable reasons. (laughs) Ben is uh Ben's giggling softly because uh <laughs> because his team beat mine this weekend and I don't get to do anything about it. But uh the Pistons are two and zero, which is why we're here. They defeated the Brooklyn Nets and the Chicago Bulls. Um, the big thing for me standing out so far is that Blake Griffin has been absolutely uh, amazing. Um, I thought that up in particular against Brooklyn, since they didn't have anyone that could uh, guard him conceivably that he might have a big game, but Chicago was better in theory, better equipped to handle a guy with his skill set. They have big bigs like Robin Lopez and Bobby Portis. And it it just didn't matter. Blake had what 33 points, uh, 12 rebounds was five of seven from three. And then like a team high plus 17 uh, against Chicago. Ben, uh, what did what have you thought of Blake's last couple of games? Outstanding. Um, one of the comments I left on Twitter, I think it was last night during the game, was, you know, if, if the NBA ultimately prized the on-court product above everything else, then they would play fewer games in a season. They would eliminate back-to-backs so that guys could be healthy and rested every single game. Because I think that's what we're seeing with Blake Griffin right now. He's clearly healthy. He's clearly rested. And he's clearly comfortable uh, being the offensive leader of the team. And pretty much unguardable, right? I mean, that's especially, like you said, against Chicago, picking and choosing literally anywhere and everywhere, especially from uh, deep five for seven and, and against Brooklyn getting to the line, 11, 11 free throw attempts. Uh, he's been a threat from everywhere on the court. And, uh, you know, we have to hope that the health and the restedness continues because if the Pistons get, you know, 65 to 70 games of, you know, this level of engaged, healthy Blake Griffin, I mean, even if he's not scoring 30, which he's obviously not going to do every night, if they can get 65 to 70 games out of him at this level of effort and intensity and energy, they're going to be pretty good. Uh, and he's been, he's been more than pretty good so far for sure. 
So I was away most of this weekend. I did not watch this game live. I've actually like just watched the replay in anticipation for this podcast. So I got to ask you, Ben, like what was the running thread of people like on Twitter and on the blog, like during the game? What were the thoughts uh, about the Pistons? Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly about Blake Griffin. Um, Really in both games, I think the game plan was pretty clearly we're going to go to Blake Griffin because he's our most talented player. And against New Jersey, it was very obvious. We're going to exploit Blake in the post because they don't have anybody who can, who can deal with them. And then in Chicago, it was just, you know, give Blake Griffin the ball because there's nothing anyone can do to stop him right now. And I, you know, I saw lots of comments about, um, you know, I think it was one of our writers who said something like, you know, Blake Griffin is a top 25 player. Don't at me, you know, healthy Blake Griffin, um, jokes about Blake obviously not being washed up and, and poking fun at those who may be questioned as agent of athleticism and that kind of stuff. Um, so that clearly was the main thread. Um, the flip side is there's I, I'm a little bit confused about what's going on with Luke Kennard. I haven't seen anything official yet other than a few tweets from some of the beat writers saying that maybe he was he was icing and using heating pads last night. So maybe maybe there's an injury lagging. That would be the other thing. There was some confusion about why. Luke Kennard did not play last night, but I think my sense is that's mostly about Blake Griffin playing like, I mean, not a top 25 player, a top 10 or top five player so far, just fantastic basketball. And, and everyone's obviously keyed on, on that. Yeah. I, I did notice that Luke did not play. Um, but I did not know if like the bulls in particular, well, the bulls were the only game where he didn't play. And I did not know if that was a good matchup for him. Uh, especially given the way Casey utilized the other wing guys around him. You know, um, Zach Levine obviously had a really good game against the Pistons. Uh, there was, uh, well, so I was a little frustrated with Casey, right? So Levine has obviously been killing Reggie Bullock the entire game. And then uh, foul trouble actually forces um, Casey to insert a lineup of what? Ish, Reggie, Stanley, Blake, and Reggie, uh, Reggie Bullock. And so Stanley is guarding Levine and he's actually like doing a good job of it. And then, you know, Casey pulls uh, Stanley off the floor in the last couple of minutes in order to like facilitate offense and keep some of the three guard lineups that he's liked to use so far together. And like, I don't know, for such a defensive minded guy, it just struck me as interesting that. Um, he's prioritizing offense so heavily with his lineups in my, in my estimation. Have you, have you seen something similar? Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, the defense has been really poor to be perfectly frank. I mean, especially at the bulls, they were basically, I mean, perimeter and interior defense was just disastrous against the nets. It was the interior defense that really stuck out to me as bad. Um, I, I, you know, kind of what I expected from Casey was we would see a, a small step back on the defensive end of the floor and we would see a bigger step forward on the offensive side of the floor. So we've gotten one of those things, right? The offense has definitely been more productive. A lot of that's because Blake Griffin has been superhuman, but the defense has been has been very bad. I'm not sure yet how much of that is rotation. I think you're definitely seeing something um, in that Bulls game. I think you're right. That observation stands out to me pretty correctly. Um, I, I think whenever you're going to pair Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith together in the backcourt, and that seems to be like by design, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm I'm super skeptical of this, but I think whenever you do that, you're obviously um, deprioritizing defense because neither of those guys is a lockdown defender. 
Um, so yeah, the defense has a long way to go right now. Yeah, and when what kills me is when and adi- so I have I have less like theoretical issues with the Reggie ish backcourt. I, I understand the idea behind it, right? He wants a lot of playmaking on the court. That's fine. My issue with it is when you're running with like a a Reggie ish Langston three guard lineup. Like no one in the backcourt can defend in that lineup, and like then, like you're going to give up dribble penetration. Um, Andre is still like not the the rim protector. We like he's still not an a, an elite level rim protector, and like that's not Blake's job. And so like a lineup like that is going to hemorrhage points, and and we've seen him turn in those lineups in order to to get points on the court, and it's just you know that's the case where I think a guy like Luke could come in simply because Luke has the size to be a, a more effective team defender like than than a Langston, right? That was especially apparent to me in the Brooklyn game, right? You had uh Ish and Langston trying to guard who Ish is like six foot flat and Langston six two and they're trying to guard Spencer Dinwiddie at six six and Karis Levert at six seven. Like it, it just wasn't gonna work. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. I think, you know, that backcourt rotation has been a puzzler for me. I I don't know if he's tinkering. I don't know how set he is on that, but I, I do think that if if that's the route he's gonna go, um our perimeter defense is gonna struggle an awful lot to defend. They're they're too short as a group. Um, you're absolutely right about that. And you know, none of them is locked are locked on defenders. I mean, Reggie Bullock is probably the best guard defender. Stanley's obviously the best, you know, small forward defender. We were without the services of Reggie Bullock, obviously, and Stanley against the Nets. Um, so maybe that kind of threw a wrench into Casey's overall plans, and he's just kind of building the plane as he flies it. Um, but, but yeah, that's that's the area for me. That's the the biggest area of criticism. We're two and zero, winning covers a multitude of sins. But that that one two three rotation is a puzzler. Yeah, Reggie Reggie Bullock is like supposed he's supposed to paper over that a lot of his defense. But I will say, I don't know if he was still recovering from from whatever illness knocked him out against Brooklyn, but he did not do a good job of staying in front of Zach Levine, um, and that really his inability to do so uh, just hindered the Pistons continually because he's supposed to be the guy who can do that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Levine, I mean, Levine looked like an all-star last night, right? And and maybe he is getting there, um, but but I think the Pistons' inadequate defense had something to do with that too. Yeah. Okay, so the the next thing I wanted to bring up from uh, yesterday's game against the Bulls was Stanley Johnson's line. Now, I, I crap a lot on Stanley, and I'm just going to read you his line, um, and then I'm going to – uh, say something that might surprise you. So Stanley played 30 minutes, was four of 13 from the floor, two of seven from three, uh, no free throws, seven rebounds, no assists, no steals, one block, a team high or a team low, I should say, negative uh, 21 in plus minus uh, for only and only scored 10 points. But I thought he was completely indispensable whenever he was on the court. Um, he was one of the few people who, like I mentioned earlier, gave Levine any trouble. He guarded everyone from uh, Bobby Portis to uh, Jabari Parker to uh, Levine to Blakeney um, relatively effectively. Um, he did a great job offensively of like creating a decent look on decent looks on the perimeter in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I know I've crapped a lot on Stanley and, uh, uh, sometimes I think it, most of it's deserved. I, I like to 
think that I'm pretty fair in that in that analysis. But um, the the numbers are not like telling the full story of his impact, especially on the defensive end for a team that really needs like somebody to step in on that on that side of the ball. Yeah, I can I can see that. Like most of that, I think I'd be a lot happier with Stanley Johnson if that shooting was more like four for nine instead of four for 13. He took seven threes. I think that's a little bit too much for him. Um, you know, if Stanley could embrace the role where he doesn't feel pressured to score offensively, um, I think he could be even more valuable than he is because, you know, I kind of feel the same way about Andre Drummond too, right? Like Andre's biggest weakness is his offense. Stanley's weakness is obviously his offense. If, if both of those guys were willing to defer a little bit more offensively, you know, we can talk about Andre's um, approach to offense this year as much as little as we want to. But yeah, I mean, defensively, he's Stanley is clearly the glue. He's the best defender on the team by a, a very significant amount, in my opinion. Although I'm anxious to see what Glenn Robinson can do there as well. I don't think we've got an, enough of a look at him to really know yet. Um, so I agree with you. I, 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 I do think, Casey probably could have used him more on Levine, though. Um, I think that was a blunder on Casey's part. And and had – I would say Stanley was indispensable when he was covering Levine. The rest of the time um, – and it's not even his fault because he wasn't assigned to the, the correct guy. You know, his offense is still such a drag. I, I'd like to see him get under 10 shots a game when he's not shooting the ball well and then be matched up appropriately because, look, the Bulls didn't have anybody else that Stanley needed to worry about, right? Like you could have shuffled Bullock or Ish or Reggie Jackson. Any of those other guys could have guard any of the other one, two, three or players for Chicago and, and let Stanley cover Levine, and I think he would have been indispensable because his defense is that good. Yeah, part of it is because uh, Casey is using Stanley and Glenn so much as like a replacement backup power forwards. And so I think he's worried about the pounding those guys are going to take uh, on uh, down low and, and how that affects the rotation. Um, Stanley like guarded Jabari Parker fairly well when, when both of those guys were playing the four. But in, in the starting lineup especially, which was the, the starting lineup we expected out, coming out of preseason, Reggie, Reggie, Stanley, Blake, uh, Dre, like there's no reason why Stanley, you, sh- you couldn't cross match um, and have Stanley on Zach Levine and Reggie on uh, – Justin Holiday, right? Like Stanley's talents defensively are kind of wasted on on an offensive player like Justin Holiday. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect way to say it. Okay, so you brought up uh, Dre's offense. Uh, let's we can we can go into that a little bit. Um, by my count, Dre had uh, he fouled out of the game against Chicago, um, and he had a twenty twenty game against Brooklyn. So it's you know one good game, one bad game. Uh, he hit a three against Brooklyn. Um, he so that makes him what one for I think he's one for four now on the year from three. I think it might be one for five. It, Maybe it is one for four. He took, he took, yeah, he took two against Chicago. Two against Brooklyn, I think. Oh, it was two against yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, but you're you're right to think that he's taken more than five more than four threes because in, in the process of uh trying to like expand his range and be a threat out there, he started like belching up like long twos as well. There was a uh, there was a possession late in the fourth quarter where like he and you know he, he turned it into like a, a twelve he turned a twelve foot post up into like a fifteen foot turnaround and it's like that's <laughs> that's not your game Dre like give the ball up and and you know be who you are offensively and so I'm just I'm I'm re- I'm 
I was a little bit more amenable to the three-point experiment than you were just coming out of the gate. Um, I still am, but I, I am, I'm leaning closer to where you and others are because I don't like the way it's affecting the rest of his offense, you know? 100% agree. I, it would be nice, it, you know, if they're committed to Andre Drummond trying this for, for 40 games to see what's there. What I'd like to see is have specific sets or specific lineups or even specific plays where this is a built-in feature, right? So in those five plays or five sets a game, Dre, Dre knows it's his role. Like he intentionally ends up in a spot where he could end up with a three-point attempt. And then outside of those limited number of plays, he's playing a more traditional big man role because, um, that look, that's just where he's best right now. Um, you know, unless he's shooting 35 to 38% from deep, his his skills are wasted in the way that Stanley Johnson's are wasted guarding, you know, mediocre perimeter guys, right? So it's still too early. I'm still not a fan. I'm not going to write it off completely just yet. Um, but your observation about him floating and, and turning 12-footers into 15-footers, you know, those are the side, side effects yeah. um, of Andre Drummond floating around the perimeter looking for threes. And I don't think that that particularly helps the offense because the reality is like the it's not as if he's drawing defenders away from the basket. Like if you watch carefully, they're just daring him to shoot. Right. Um, so the main effect you would expect to see is extra floor space. He's not getting that. Um, he's only shooting 25%. So, you know, that's, that's not a net, a net positive in those shot attempts. So after two games, it's been a failure. There's a long way to go yet. Um, and I would say the other thing that makes me skeptical is his misses are not pretty. <laughs> I mean, they're, he's missing wildly, you know, bricks off the backboard, um, his form, he's just not, a, he does not have a good, there's nothing about watching him shoot that makes you think, oh yeah, you know, he'll just get there with enough practice. So I remain, I remain super skeptical and and it's cringeworthy right now when every time he takes one. What, what I think irks me the most is that he's not. He's, he's not, he's either not patient enough or like he just wants to, he wants to take these shots because frequently a lot of them are early in the shot clock. They are when like you're beginning an action, you're beginning a play. He gets like an entry, an entry pass from the point guard. And like, there's still time to run offense around him. But the big man is like, he's at the three point line and the big, the big, the other big is below the free throw line. So he's like, well, I have a ton of space. It's like, I can shoot these. I have the green light too. And it's like, no, like you, I was like, yes, you do have the green light to do that. It was like, or we could run like more offense, get like a little bit more off ball movement, get some player movement going and like maybe come up with a better shot. Yeah. And like the, and like, like you and others have pointed out the, the main draw is he's supposed to be bringing out the bigs from like underneath the free throw line. But like you said, if he's hitting 25%, that's not going to happen. And so I, yeah, I, I gotta say, I did not, uh, even when I, when I expected the, the green light to shoot threes, I expected to see more of like what we saw from Jared Allen in the Brooklyn game, right? Like corner threes, like specific mm-hmm. sets, like you, like you said, where he ended up like in the corner, not like straightaway threes or like above the break threes like the above the break threes are the hardest shots for guys to shoot like who know what they're doing <laughs> right right exactly. and, and that's just not dre's game at, at this time it and now right sorry, and like, 
Oh, go ahead. Go I was ahead. like, now every time he's holding the ball in anticipation, like twenty feet from the rim, you like seize up a little bit because like you don't know if you don't right. know if it's going up, and like that's not that's not the place I wanted to be this early in the season. Right, and two other observations related to this, and we don't need to we don't need to beat it to death, but against Chicago, limited by foul trouble, certainly, so only about twenty three minutes, but zero free throw attempts for Andre Drummond. That. That's another thing to watch. Um, is floating around the perimeter going to uh, keep him off the free throw line? And that was such a huge improvement for him a season ago. He was three for four against Brooklyn at 75%. Uh, zero free throw attempts is, is too little. The second thing I would say is it's fairly obvious to me that Andre's teammates don't know what to do when he has the ball out on the perimeter either. Um, it's it, only four or five attempts, four attempts, I think is what we said. So we don't have a ton of possessions to think about here but i think it's worth watching what what happens to the rest of the offense when andre has the ball out on the perimeter with 14 seconds left on the shot clock does everyone else also sort of seize up the way the fans are maybe doing (laughs) and if that's the case it's sort of a a stopper for the whole offense and uh effectively turns into a wasted possession so something to keep an eye on i think that's definitely something to look out for uh let's do something a little bit more positive now now that we yeah absolutely uh, so ish smith has played like 25 plus minutes in consecutive games and casey is integrating him into lots of three guard lineups and he's shooting and making a a a good number of three-point attempts and just look generally like very free in Casey's offense, and I'm really pleased by that. Uh, I know that um, I've been, I've been, I like Ish, but I've always thought that we could upgrade at that position. But if he's going to continue to shoot like this, and you know, still play uh, up and down when he can, and uh, and and you know, we can still get good offense when he's on the court. Like you know, maybe maybe we bring Ish back. Like maybe this is for real. Yeah, so a couple byproducts of this too. Um, Reggie Jackson has been extremely comfortable off the ball, which um, something I worried a little bit about after the Blake Griffin acquisition was a guy like Reggie uh, Reggie Jackson who needs the ball in his hands, in the pick and roll, etc. He's looked very comfortable off the ball uh, and four for seven from deep last night, several of those coming when he and Ish were on the floor together and Ish was sort of the primarily ball handler. Second thing, yes, Ish's um, three-point percentage has been fantastic and his his willingness to shoot the ball has been fantastic. But how about that clutch drive at the end of the Chicago game? Um, absolute confidence on his part, absolute confidence from Dwayne Casey and and giving him the freedom to do that and, and just a fantastic finish um, in crunch time. So, yeah, fantastic play from Mitch Smith. Um, I, you know, defensively, we've talked about the weaknesses there, but offensively, um, Casey saw something that I certainly didn't, and those two guys have worked very well together uh, on the offensive side of the court for the first two games, for sure. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up that last-minute uh, bucket by Ish because that was that was a good set, but it, it highlighted something that I had noticed, uh, like specifically at the end of the game. Uh, in Chicago, uh, you know, when comparing it to how the game ended in Brooklyn, uh, Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson was largely uh, he tried to take over the game uh, against Brooklyn. Uh, you know, waving Blake off for for touches, calling for for pick and roll screens, and just like he made some clutch free throws, but I don't think he acquitted himself well um, in in crunch time against Brooklyn, and they pulled out the win kind of despite his play. 
Um, and and in, against Chicago, like he was on the floor, but he was largely a bystander. The the ball was in Ish's hands a lot. The ball was in Blake's hands a lot. And uh, I think you know the offense looked um, in in better hands, like un, under those two uh, in the final two minutes. Um, Ish isn't. I think I still I would like to see Reggie look to Ish as like how you should operate like with Blake on the floor in the final minutes, right? Like Reggie is so used to like dribble, dribble, dribble. Like I I'm trying to be the hero. Like I'm, I'm the only guy on this team with the capability of like taking and making a, la- a, a final shot. And it's like, that's not the case anymore. Like we have Blake Griffin and like Ish has been a better compliment to Blake uh, so far than Reggie has. But like you talked about earlier, like Reggie has been unleashed as like a, an off ball spot up type of guy. And so I, I hope he embraces that role, like in the future. And you know, you come up with, you you, um, you come up with uh, sets and like a two man game for those guys that works. Um, that doesn't just feel like Reggie is like a, a bystander in, in the final minutes of the game. Yeah, and it's better for his longevity as a player too, right? If he can show that he's a multi dimensional guy who can contribute to an offense, and when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, that's a good thing for him, right? Because I, I think, is this his contract year? Is this his last year of his no, deal? Got, I'm thinking it he's is. He's got one more year. One more yeah. year? So, you know, a couple seasons in Detroit, pretty much ruined by injuries. He's got a couple years to prove to the NBA that he can still be a valuable player. He's going to be healthy, and, you know, he, he's worthy of one more big contract. So I think it's good for the Pistons, and I think it's good for him because certainly his reputation is as a pretty one-dimensional player right now on offense, and, and that's with the ball in the pick and roll. I would love to see him be willing to stand in the corner and knock down threes because that's that's invaluable, especially as you mentioned, a bit of chemistry developing between Ish and Blake. Yeah, I, I would like. I don't think like ultimately like he is best in the pick and roll, but I hope that he doesn't forget that he like also if he's in the corner, like he's still a threat, right? Like correct. He, he, maybe he needs to feel like you know he's still involved in the play or like he's still. Um, an active part of the team, like with without the ball in his hands in crunch time, and uh, it's like no, like you, 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 like your presence still like leverages, a, it, it presents a threat that like wasn't there in the past, and like we can use that, we can play around that, like Blake can play around that, Andre can play around that, like uh, there there are more things in life than like running a one five pick and roll and like making the final layup, Reggie. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. And so that was oh oh I wanted to talk about. Glenn Robinson the uh, third. I've I've been really high on Glenn. Glenn has been I think pretty good in the first two games, but he's playing like under twenty minutes a game, and like I'm not happy with yeah. that. Um, yeah. For for the versatility offensively that he offers, for the size and length that he offers on defense, we've talked about how in three guard lineups those end up being undersized. Like if he was, you know, the the nominal small forward in some of those lineups, you've you'd have better size on the court. Um, I think uh, so. Between Glenn not playing enough and like Luke not playing, I guess at all in Chicago, like I I have real uh, questions about like what Casey is seeing that I'm not. You know, it's it's a little it's mm-hmm. a little early to be like Casey's wrong, I'm right. But like I I just I would like to see like what he sees and or what what he's not seeing from Glenn that like would lead him to not give him like more minutes, you know? Yeah, I agree. Especially, you know, with the Bruce Brown start, Um, you know, I I can't say that Bruce played poorly. He didn't make any shots, which, you know, that's not good, but uh, that was a puzzler to me that, that 
Glenn didn't get the nod there to start. I don't know, maybe, you know, Casey's thinking is I want Glenn to be comfortable in the backup role. And so I'm going to insert someone else into the starting lineup. So, so Glenn can flourish there. I mean, I can, I can understand that. Um, but I do, I do have to hope there are more minutes um, for him there. Langston Galley played 33 minutes um, in the Brooklyn game, for example, he wasn't bad either, but he wasn't great. Um, so I think there could have been minutes for Glenn Robinson there as well. Uh, so yeah, I think Luke Kennard and Glenn Robinson to me are the guys who uh, I certainly would have expected to get more of the minutes that Galloway is currently getting. Um, and even to an extent ish, you know, ish being the, the first guard off the bench uh, and, and coming in for Reggie Bullock really caught me by surprise. Uh, and it's worked offensively. It's worked, but yeah, you're right. Those are the two guys, Glenn Robinson. I'd like to see more of for sure. Um, and I would like to know what's going on with Luke Kennard. If it was a did not play coach's decision, or if there was something going on uh, with the minutes restriction or, or lingering injury in some way. Yeah, I, I, well, that's going to be an important point moving forward, right? Because if if Luke can't play, like Luke can't play, and we would like him to be healthy, we'd like him to be healthy in the long term. But uh, Langston played 26 minutes against the Bulls and was two of seven from the floor, two of seven from three. Um, and like minus three, like he was, he was himself, right? Like maybe one more of those threes right. goes down and like his, his day looks, uh, more adequate, but in, in the end, like I would rather, if you're, if you're trying to add playmaking by, by putting like small guards on the court, if like, that's the point of Reggie and Ish and Langston is to put playmaking on the, on the court. Like Luke can do that. Luke can make plays with the ball in his hands. Like Luke can come off screens and like do the one dribble pull up or he Correct. has, he has the court vision to to like make reads and stuff so like if if that's what casey's worried about um like you should you should try luke given that he's healthy you know right he's a playmaker in a a sort of change of pace way too because what you said i think is exactly what he's best at he comes off those baseline screens or screens around the elbow he takes one or two dribbles and he either finds a shot or he makes the correct read and makes the correct pass and that that's a that forces the defense to react in such a different way, right? Because if you're defending that play, the first decision you have to make is, okay, how am I going to cover Luke coming off the screen? Am I going to chase? Am I going to duck? Am I going to try to slip? And then the second decision you have to make is, how am I going to defend him when he gets the ball? I'm going to play him for the pass or the jump shot. And, and of course, the other three or four guys defending have to adjust to all of those reads as well. When you look at a guy like Ish Smith, you look at a guy like Blake Griffin, you look at a guy like Reggie Jackson, their primary contributions are with the ball in their hands. So there's one less read you have to make, right? You don't have to make that read coming off the screen. So I do think there's an opportunity for Luke to continue to build on what he did a year ago, because to me, you know, he, he is one of the, the best guys moving without the ball that the Pistons have had in quite a while. And I think it's a, a bit of a lost art in the NBA right now. And I, I think there's an opportunity him for him to carve out a nice niche, um, you know, being, I don't know if I'll ever be a starter, but certainly a productive role player in, in 20 to 25 minutes a game. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, so we're going to, we haven't seen John Lure re-enter the rotation, like if at all. And, and we have seen Casey show some sort of preference for Bruce Brown, like over Kyrie Thomas uh, of, of the two rookies. And so um, because of their defense, right. And so I wonder if like that is Casey's thinking, like Luke is not the on-ball defender that like Bruce Brown is, and he's not the he's an adequate team defender, but like not much more than that. And so I wonder if like that's what he's thinking is just like we won't be as good defensively with 
with Luke on the court versus like Langston or Ish. But like Langston or Ish don't have the size. Like you're already really bad defensively. Like why not try this kind of right. size and playmaking ability? I don't know. It's- yeah, it and it, that gets back to one of the very first points you made tonight, which is Casey seems to be prioritizing offense pretty significantly. And, and if that is his train of thought, it's puzzling that he would look at Luke Kennard's minutes differently, right. right? Like it's just, it would be a, it's, it'd be an odd decision to look at just that one player that way. Cause you know, he's certainly no worse a defender than Ish Smith, right? Like he guards a different position, but he's not a worse defender. Um, so, you know, I would give Reggie Bullock the edge defensively and obviously Stanley gets the edge defensively, but he's no worse than Reggie Jackson or Ish Smith. In my yeah, I mean, those Reggie or um, I'm sorry, Ish or Luke are still guys. I think, like in in the case of last night, like if Luke had played, or so I'm, I'm gonna back up again. So last night when uh, Ish was on the floor, like Levine was hunting the mismatch with Ish, so he could attack him like off the dribble. Like if if sure. Luke played, I think Levine would do something similar, but like that that can't be the criteria for like whether or not you would or would not play a guy, right? Like it didn't matter for Ish's minutes, it shouldn't matter for for Luke's. Yeah, I agree. It, it's it's kind of like the Pistons have one too many guards, right? They have one too many guards and and one too few small forwards. They have one too, um, one too few power forwards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if they flip something there. Um, you know, Langston Gallery's contract is attractive as a trade piece, even if he's not, you know, an all-star player. Ish's contract could be very attractive if he continues to play well. Obviously, you don't want to lose a guy like him the way he's playing, but um, you know, if you can shore up by bringing an equivalent power forward into the mix or an equivalent small forward into the mix, um, that's certainly the way I'd be thinking if I were in the front yeah, office. Ish's, Ish's, Ish's deal is expiring uh, this offseason, so yeah. like that's definitely a very, very attractive trade piece. Um, what, what did you think of Jose Calderon's four minutes last night? <laughs> uh, it, it was like I saw him on the floor, but that was all that was it. Like I, he didn't do anything. I think he took one shot or something. I mean, he just didn't do yeah. anything. So I thought it was uh, I thought if nothing else, it was interesting that the lineup that he was with was the starters. Um, and but he was in place of Reggie. Right. Like that's that's yeah. the lineup that uh, I imagined that he would be in that that's the role I imagined he would play. Like if, when, if Reggie Bull or Reggie Jackson goes down, right? Like he would start and like, he would be a fine, like caretaker of the offense until ish came in. And like, like you said, he played, he played four minutes, uh, did literally nothing. Now one shot, one rebound and was plus one. So I was like, fine. He was, he was fine. Yeah. He's not going to hurt you, right? Like he's not going to take dumb shots. He's not going to make silly turnovers, but you know, the most you're going to hope for is an open right. jumper. Right? Like, what, so, but like, why is he getting, why is he getting Luke's minutes? Like that, that's, that's four minutes. Luke could have been on the floor if he's healthy. Yeah. You, I, I mean, I have to think I mean, a DNP just doesn't make sense to me unless there's some injury concern. I, I have to hope that otherwise I'm, I'm just on such a different wavelength as Casey that I'm going to be extremely frustrated watching the season play out. I think the only guy we haven't talked about is Jaja Pachulia. And he's somehow played like almost 20 minutes a game. A lot of that has to do with Andre's foul trouble. Um, so I intentionally didn't watch the box scores these first two nights as the games were happening, except for I did check on Stanley's box score at one point um, last night during the game because I just felt like he was playing horrible. And that was in the first half. Yeah. And he actually was. Um, but Jaja Pachulia, like... He looked like he was holding his own, but then when I looked at the box score, like the number of shots he's taking is just way too much, and he's not making anything. Um, but I, 
I think like if you can keep him in the like 10 to 12 minute range, I was really worried he could be a disaster. Um, I saw a few things out of him that make me think he can be like barely adequate as a backup center. Huh, so that's interesting. Cause I've really, I've really liked the minutes that Zaza has played, uh, especially against Brooklyn. He was, he was a very effective, uh, screen setter he creates space for guys and we have a lot of guys on this team who need space to get to get shots off especially on the perimeter but i do think he tries to do too much occasionally correct and so like correct. Get, maybe agree. like tell him to to limit that and just to be more of a, a screen setter and roller and but he's he's also like a half decent passer and so I, I don't mind the ball being in his hands i just don't want him taking his, i just don't want him taking as many shots so i'm, I'm right there with you yeah like and that's what I mean. Like when I was just watching his activity and everything he was doing offensively, I was, I was on board, but two for six and one for seven, like that's, that's really <laughs> bad. Um, and that, that one for seven, particularly, it's just, it's too many shots, you know, six shot attempts in 14 minutes against, against the nuts is a little too much. You put it correctly. He's trying to do a little too much. And I agree. Everything he did without the ball in his hands, though, I really liked. He rebounded well. He moved the ball well. And I, I think he had, like, a handful of assists against he Brooklyn, did. too, didn't he? Um, so, yeah, I mean, he perfectly adequate backup um, minutes and a very different type of backup center than we saw a year ago with Moreland, who both of us definitely became fans of. Um, Jaja's more, a lot more offensively <laughs> minded, which I think is a good thing. Um so, so pleasantly surprised and, and hopeful that if he can get the shot attempts under control or, you know, knocks down a few of those jumpers that we have, we have a lot less to worry about when Andre Drummond gets in foul trouble. All right, Ben. So this week, uh, the Pistons play Philadelphia at home, Cleveland at home, and the Boston Celtics at home. Uh, that is, what, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. That is, that is an interesting slate of games. How many games do the Pistons win? Uh, by the time we record this podcast this time next week. Yeah, I think they're going to lose two of those games. Philly and, and Boston, I think, are, are on another level. Um, Cleveland, of course, that that's a game you got to win. Just like the Brooklyn game, just like the Chicago game, you you got to win the games against the teams you're better than if you want to make the playoffs. And uh, I think Philly and, and Boston probably going to have the Pistons. Yeah, this so week. Atlanta played today and lost or uh, Cleveland played today and lost to the Hawks by 22 points. So, oh, I haven't even looked at the scoreboard yeah, today. That's the brutal. Pistons absolutely need to beat the teams that they are uh, ostensibly better than, and like it, that would be a, a good place to start. And they've done it so far. They're ostensibly better than the Nets, and and they're better than the Bulls. Um, I am intrigued to see how the game against Boston goes. Uh, Andre has you know played sometimes with a with a fire in his belly against Boston and. Uh, uh, Aaron, I believe I saw that Aaron Baines would not play their next game. And like, he is a guy who does a good job of keeping Andre off the glass. And if he's unavailable uh, at any time this week, that makes that matchup a little bit easier uh, for the Pistons um, with the way Blake is playing. The the Celtics would have to like stick Horford on him. And then like that opens up a lot of offensive rebound chances for, for Andre, but the Celtics, uh, I watched their initial game against the Sixers and they looked uh Jason Tatum in particular just looked really, really unstoppable offensively. Yeah, Twitter is a fire with him right now. I, I haven't watched any full game yet, only highlights, but sounds like he's really stepped into the next level of his game, which 
I mean, gosh, they just have so many guys. The Celtics just have he is, so he many is guys. Quite, quite good. And so I will be, I'll be curious to see how yeah. the Pistons uh, attempt to to keep those games close. Uh, maybe if they pull out one, that'd be nice. But I, I think I'm with you. I think the Pistons will be three and two by the time we're doing this podcast uh, this time next week, which will be fine. I mean that that's fine. A winning. A winning record, five games in. I'm, yeah, like I'm I good tweeted uh, when the Pistons started uh, down eight points to to begin their season. I was like, you know what? They started fourteen and six last year. We're trying. We're trying something different. <laughs> yeah, I I also put out on Twitter that night. Like, I feel like that first quarter like colored my whole perspective of that game because that first quarter was trash. But then they did some really nice things, and I, I feel like I was in a bad mood that whole game because that, that first, first quarter, quarter was, was so really bad. ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right ben uh this is this has been a good this has been a good time um, i've been enjoying this uh what, what's coming up for you are you are you writing anything this week or are we just going to get your thoughts on uh how the pistons uh, underperformed against the Cavs on twitter oh oh god <laughs> if that happens i might have to write something <laughs> um you know i i am going to write more this year but i have a feeling it's going to be it's going to be selective for the next few weeks we got uh we've got some changes happening to the way our family schedule works. So the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I want to start writing again. Um, dad life is, is a little different now that kiddo is just about two. She's a little more independent and she actually watched part of the football game with me yesterday, which I absolutely hey loved. And she, she was saying, throw catch football. And, uh, that, that was, a oh, that's cool adorable. Dad. Even if you are just brainwashing her incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> You know what, though? Her mom is a Spartan, and she had her Spartan gear on. So I, I wasn't pushing her in any direction. She was just enjoying watching uh, the guys run around and tackle each other and all that good stuff. All right. I like that. Uh, for me this week, I think I might, I'm might. i going to take a look at the defensive rating of the three-guard lineups and see if there's yeah. anything there, if, if my eyes are lying to me or not. And then uh, I'm sure we've got some great stuff coming up this week on the on the on uh, on Detroit Bad Boys which uh, you should you should check out because you know we're the we're the best place for Pistons news and analysis this season as I said at the beginning of every podcast all right guys this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast uh, I am your host Lazarus Jackson and we will see you guys next week